I'll tell you what, I know that's what we talked about in Sunday school class this morning, right, was being proud of our missionaries and supporting them because each one of these folks who went, the 23 people, right, is that 20, 22, 22 people that went, man, we need to, to just make sure we honor them because it says, the Bible says, give honor where honor is due this morning. So if you're part of Team Tijuana, would you stand up this morning? Would you do that if you're here and you were able to make it? Yeah, that's right. We want to make sure we just give these folks a, a round of applause and, and just say thank you. Thank you for all that you guys do. Well, how many believe that there should be joy and laughter in the house of the Lord? Amen. I mean, not always at my expense. So I have provided an opportunity, hopefully here, Andy, for you all to just have a moment of, of levity here. I don't know if any of you can identify with, with, that, uh, with that. I ran across that yesterday and I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, I think I just sat and belly laughed like for 10 minutes in my chair last, yesterday. And I was like, I've got to make sure the church sees that this morning because it is like the story of my life. God pulls me out, I jump back in. I, he pulls me out, I jump back in. And so um, I, I, I hope that some of you identify with that. I hope I'm not the only one here this morning. So... Well, uh, we're going to be talking about Abraham again this week. We're going to be in Genesis 24. So while I introduce, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Genesis 24, um, I, I, you know, go ahead and do that. But I've got this wonderful slide here this morning. Uh, Andy, just wanted you all to know that your yard was getting mowed by a professional this week. And let me tell you, uh, no experience. No experience. First time ever on a riding lawnmower. And we let her do it right here at the church uh, uh, on our mower that has no guard on it. But we, by golly, we put her out there on it. And uh, she smiled like that. Literally, that smile you see there is not for the camera. That was the whole 45 minutes I had her on that thing. She was beaming ear to ear. And uh, so now when it came time to pick up the, the dead mole or possum or whatever that was, she did run the other direction. Uh, left, left that one for me, so I, I got to take care of that. So, uh, But uh, what a lot of fun this week it's been, uh, even with our team not being here. We've had a good vendor fair. We've had a lot of good things going on here at the church, and so um, I, I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing here. So, Well, I tell you guys always, I love to tell a story to kind of start us off. Connect it to the message. Wendy, just so you know, to honor you, I decided not to come over here and preach yesterday in here because I was afraid of the interruptions. I mean, there was only like, you know, 50 people at all times running around this building, right? So I said, no, I'm going to do it in my office. So I began to preach the sermon in my office. And I'm getting into it, but I'm in my chair, right? I'm sitting in my office chair, so I'm, I'm getting into it quite a bit. Lo and behold, the same woman mowing the lawn showed up at my office door and says, what you doing? Halfway through my sermon. So week number two of not getting my sermon preached in advance all the way through. So I don't know how the second half goes today for you all. But uh, Wendy, just so you know, Heidi kept you in, in uh, good company there this week. I was like, I had told her, I said, Heidi, I'm going downstairs to work on my sermon. And she's like, okay, come downstairs. I kid you not, 20 minutes into it. What you doing? I'm like mid-sentence. I'm like preaching the heck out of this sermon, you know. I'm like, I mean, somebody's going to get saved. I'm sure of it. But <sighs> Wow. Well, I, I titled this, this first little part of my introduction called Impatient Kelly. And uh, those of you who know me, I'm not huge on patience. 
My son would probably agree with that. My wife would probably agree with that. And anybody who's ever worked for me over 20 years would probably tell you that I'm not known for my patience. But uh, it's kind of been a trademark, if you will. I, I should trademark that name. But uh, when I was about 17 years old, I was in the market for my very first car. Any of you all ever been in the market? You ever remember the excitement about your first car? I had these visions. I, I had these visions, man. Steve, I was planning on driving a vet around Ottumwa. You know, I had the Mustang thoughts in my head. I had all these cars that were like, I mean, way above any 16-year-old, right? 16, 17-year-old should be driving. But, but I, and I'm kind of a sporty guy, so I was all about the sports car at the time. Anybody remember the Ford Probe or, or some of those? I mean, they were, they were sporty cars, right? And uh, so I, my parents, though, my parents came into the situation, right, as they, as they were trying to help me out. And they offered me some wisdom about my first car. So they said, Kelly, we want to help you out. We want to offer to buy your first car. I said, well, that's awesome. So I started listing off that whole list of cars, Porsche, Corvette. You know, I mean, we're going down the line. You know, the, the 1973 Chevy Nova, you know. I'm like all kinds of jacked up, ready to go. And uh, thank you, Kelton. And... Uh, so my parents come across. Let me give you a couple of their offerings. So I didn't do a picture. I wish I would have. Heidi said I should. But uh, anybody ever seen a 1971 Dodge Duster? That was their first offering. It was powder blue. Let me tell you about their second offering. It was a 1980 Ford uh, Fairmont. Anybody with four doors? Anybody ever seen a 1984? Yeah, Ford Fairmont. Guess what color? Baby blue. Finally, the full winner of the 1980s, the Ford Escort. Let's just say, guys, my parents and I were not on the same page. Uh, we, we were not there. So, impatient Kelly began to move away from his parents' offerings. I said, hey, you know, I thank you guys, but I'm my own man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this to, to go. I got a job, right? I was, I was working as a grocery sacker. I was, all, I was all kinds of big stuff. Man, I had like two yards I mowed along with it every week. I was like, I, I can do this. And so uh, while I was out making it happen, I found the car of my dreams. It was a 1986 Chrysler Laser, which was the kin version of the Dodge Daytona. It was the fancy version. Anybody ever see those, Dodge Daytona? So, yeah, I was pretty excited about this. Man, it was slick. Dude, it had bells and whistles everywhere. Lights that were like things that lit up, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Let me just say that the dealership that I found it at was not exactly reputable. <laughs> it's about three miles outside of town, way back on a country road, with a lot of cars that were, you know, maybe not so reputable. But this car is stellar. And uh, what I didn't know at that time was this dealership was really well known for its redneck tune-ups. Yeah, so we can see where this story's going. But I brought it home. My, my dad insisted that we take it for a test drive because I was ready to go on the spot, right? I was ready to go. This is my car. And my dad says, let's bring it home, show your mom. And he's kind of letting me do my thing, right? And my mom is not that way. My mom tells you when you're off. She will tell you when you are incorrect. So I roll into the driveway. I'm just like pop out of this car, you know. I'm just like feeling slick. She says, that's not the car for you. She says, I don't think you should do that. It's too much money. Now, 
for some of you, this may not seem like a big deal, but in 1991, 92, whatever it was, uh, you know, $2,700 was a lot of money for a kid making a little less than four bucks an hour, right? That was a lot of money. I was like, okay, and I had like 600 bucks in, save, in my savings account. I was pretty, pretty fired up. And uh, she says, you don't want to be saddled with this thing. I remember that word. She says, you don't want to be saddled with this car. And uh, I was like, let's just say I didn't heed her warning. So I prevailed upon my father, and I said, help me get a loan. So I marched down to John Deere Credit Union in Ottumwa, right there by the lagoons, I can still tell you. Marched right in, signed my life away for 2700 But My mom was so mad at both of us. I mean, she's just mad. She's like, this is not a good idea. And uh, she kept saying, don't borrow the money. Just use your savings. Get this. This is what you don't want to tell any 16-year-old kid. Keep building up your savings and ride your 10-speed to work every day. And you can use our Ford Escort station wagon when you need it. Come on. Come on. Well, here's the rest of the story. Huh. This pains me to even talk about it now. So I had the car four weeks, drove around like a madman. Within two weeks, the Walmart hubcaps that they had put on had already fallen off, two of them. So I'm driving around with no hub, you know, two front headcups missing. Within four weeks, the entire brake system went out. Let's go. Let's keep going. Within two months, we realized that there was no shocks in the car because they were completely rusted out because we found out that it had sat partially submerged for six months in a creek. Oh, no, we're not done. Within five months, the radiator blew out. Within the first month, the computer went out. You know what happens when a computer of a car goes out? It don't drive anymore. Within a month of the radiator blew, blew out, Heidi can attest to this because she was on her first date in it, the heater quit working. The locks would freeze up on the, on the passenger side door, and she had to hold her door shut while we drove places. <laughs> Nine months later, I sideswiped a light pole coming out of the movie parking lot. Dale was not even doing anything cool. I just backed into it, drove the whole front end across it. Let's keep going. A year later, within, the, within a year of owning it, Heidi and I were hit by a drunk driver. She's still rolling, though. So I had this car for two and a half years. Finally, the engine blew out. Put the thing out of its misery. By the way, you can still find it at the salvage yard in Eddyville. It was there last time I was there. Uh, but let me tell you what happened. When that car, when I finally, that car blew up and the guy says, okay, there's nothing we can do. It's time to call the junkyard. DeWitt Salvage Yard was the name of it, not Eddyville, Iowa. And they paid me 50 bucks for the car. And the 50 bucks still wasn't enough to pay off the car when I, when I went to pay it off. So I still was paying on a car I didn't own. And I ended up driving my parents' Ford Escort and driving my 10-speed bicycle to, to work. <laughs> this is not a joke. I'm, I'm not kidding. Back to the patience piece. You all see where I'm going with this? My folks, I'd probably still be driving that 1970 you know, Duster if that was the case. And, and, and I went back to look at it last night when I was looking at pictures. And I was like, that is actually a cool car. You could make them a really cool car. I mean, they had big engines in them. I mean, huge engines in them. I mean, this was, this, and I'm like, what kind of moron were you? Uh, I'm going to go back to just saying impatient. But that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. We're going to see Abraham. He's, he's learned some lessons. He's learning to lean on God's promises today. And he's learning to take what he's, he's, he's went through and apply it. And he's going to show us how leaning on God and his promises will deliver and affect his future and yours. 
Well, we got a lot of scripture today. I cut it up. I tried to learn a lesson from Aaron. Aaron does this a lot better than I do. He is so articulate and grabs scripture out. Me, I just like look at it as a big mass and I have a hard time knowing what's good and what's bad and what's too much. And he does a really good job at this. And I wish I was better, Aaron. So I'm sorry in advance. I'm, I'm just sorry in advance. So we're going to start with Genesis chapter 24, verses 6 through 8 this morning. And uh, it says, no, Abraham responded. He's talking to his servant. I guess I should give you some backstory here. He's talking to his servant. He's sending his servant out to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And uh, so this is Abraham's servant has said, hey, there's some good looking ladies here running around the area we're in. And this is Abraham's response. No, simply no. Abraham responded, be careful never to take my son there. He's talking about back to, the, back to where his, he, the servant had wanted to bring the son with him. And he said, no. And he says, for the Lord of heaven who took me from my father's house and my native land solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. And he will send his angels ahead of you. And he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine. Be under no, but under no circumstances are you to take my son there. That's pretty strong, isn't it? No to the ladies around there. No to taking his son anywhere. That's, that's strong. Now we're going to skip over to verse 12. We're going to read through verse 27. It says, O Lord, my, this is his speak, the servant speaking. He says, O Lord, my master... Abraham, he prayed, please give me my success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside the spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too, let, me be, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Now, I just want to give you a little frame of reference here before we go on. To, to, to water a camel, does anybody know how many gallons of water a camel can drink at a time? 25 gallons at a time. He's got multiple camels with him. Yeah, this lady, they're asking a little bit, aren't they? Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebekah was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, I have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. And when she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So quickly she emptied her jug into the watering trowel and ran back to the well to draw water for all her camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. And then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large bracelets for her wrists. Whose daughter are you, he asked. And please tell me, would your father have any rooms to put us up for the night? So remember, this is more than one camel. There's more than one person with him. Rooms. She says, I am the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. And her, yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels, and we have room for the guests. And the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. And we're going to skip down to verse 62. It says, Meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in Negev, had returned from Bir Rohoi. 
one evening as he was walking and meditating in the fields, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is the man walking around the fields to meet us? She asked the servant, and he replied, it is my master. And so Rebekah covered her face with her veil, and then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. So Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of, her mother, of his mother. Well, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your, your lessons that you have made so readily available to us, God. And I just pray today that your, your spirit would be upon this message, God, that it would be uh, one of encouragement, one of, that provokes our hearts today, God, one that draws us closer to you. Lord, may it be your words and not mine. I just thank you for all that you're going to do today, Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, I'm getting pretty good at this uh, pro presenter thing, Aaron. Making slides, I'm getting better at it. I'm I'm getting pretty pretty slick. I actually got a point up here for you guys. The first point, if you're a note taker here today, it's stand on God's promise, right? That sounds good. And never go or look back. Now, that seems really interesting to us, but the Bible has a lot to say about this. When we look backwards, we lose sight of the path that God has before us. So I don't know if you've ever ridden with me in a car. My wife will attest to this. If I take my eyes off the road, guess where I go? I go wherever my eyes are at. I've seen some people like, I've ridden with Jim before, and he can literally, he can be looking you straight in the face, but that's an oddity, and driving straight forward. Now and then, okay, well, he's not bad at it. But I got to tell you, I can't. Because when we take our eyes off the path, we lose what's before us. I know that seems crazy, right? But uh, Abraham had understood that God had brought him out of the land of his fathers. He brought him away from all of that, brought him to this new land, a promise land. And he understood that Isaac was his future. Remember how we talked about this a little bit, who Isaac really was in all of this? He wasn't just his child. He was the future of Abraham. Because Abraham talked about how that he said, remember, if, God, if you don't give me a son, I'll have to give it to my servant. This is his future. This is his bloodline. This is everything to him. This is all that it is. Isaac was Abraham's future and God's promise. And he did not want him to go back to where God had already called him out of. So Isaiah 43 says to us, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, forget the, this is one of my favorite things, because some of you hold on to things constantly. Some of you, let me just sidestep here for a minute. Some of you hold on to your old sins, you hold on to your old life, you hold on to all of these things, and you just let it keep stopping you. You let it stop you from moving forward, and you get stuck in the muck, and you get stuck right there. But listen to this. This is what Isaiah said. This is what God said to him. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wastelands. When we allow ourselves to go back where we came from, we cannot perceive or see the things that God is doing new in us. How many of y'all like to take a car trip? Anybody like to take a car ride, like to go travel? One of my favorite things is going into new, new places, new things I've never seen before. But if I'm stuck and always constantly rolling back, I'll never get to see the new things, right? Do y'all see that? 
Y'all catching that? So maybe let me spiritualize this a little bit for you. If you're constantly going back to the place that God has called you out of, you'll always be stuck in the same place. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But how many of us get caught up in that? How many of us get caught up that we're so hung up on things that we miss what God's getting ready to do? I believe there was a reason God brought me to that scripture this morning about the mountain. Because that first sentence says that God called Moses and the people to the mountain. But he knew their hearts. And so he had to have Moses put up a barrier. But that barrier was really their sin. They couldn't get out of their own way to experience the new to go up to the mountain. Abraham's learning this. Hmm. We lose sight of what's in front of us and focus on what's behind us. It leads us to total destruction. Abraham knows a little bit about this. Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Can you get this? Here she is. She's a faithful servant of God. She has seen the things that God has done. Abraham has, through God's power, has saved her and her family from opposing armies, right? She has gotten so hooked up on her life in Sodom that she can't see that God is getting ready to do something new in her life. When what happened when she turned around to long for what was still there? Her life was destroyed. Life in the kingdom of God is about moving forward. It's always about plowing up new ground. I love analogies about farming, right? I am not much of a green thumb, but I love farmers, right? I do. That's I, I, what I, I do. But Jesus says this. This is what he says. In Luke 9, 62, he said, No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, let me explain that to you. Why? Because when you're plowing up the field, you have a really clear path you want to go, right? You want to go front to back. But if I'm doing this, you ever seen a farmer's rows that look like this? They're all over the place. You don't see farmers doing that because they're never looking backwards. They're looking forward to the end of the row. Doesn't just apply to us moving ahead as a church. Some of you are going to look at that and you're going to say, oh, it's just the church. You know, we're moving ahead. We're moving ahead. No, no. God's calling that out as citizens in his kingdom. That we have to be committed to breaking up new ground in our hearts. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. God still wants to break up the ground of your heart. He's still calling you out. Don, he's still calling you out, isn't he? He's showing you. I'm amazed at what he does constantly in my life. How he continues to show me things. Say, Kelly, break up those things in your life. Because that's, that's a kingdom principle. Here's another one for you. Another kingdom principle. God always calls us forward and he never calls you backwards. Now, Philippians 3.13 says this, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, for what I focus on this one thing. This is Paul, who's accomplished a lot. He says, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize, for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Your journey's not over. Just because you made it here this morning doesn't mean the journey's over. Too many people think, man, I made it in the door. Whew. It's good. It's good. God said, no, no, I want to break up some more ground. 
You know how a farmer gets more profitable? He begins to break up more ground. Because he can plant more seed. Because then the harvest can be bigger. But he can't do that until he does what? Plows up more ground. Sometimes it means we have to uproot the trees. Pull out the rocks. Because we don't want to go through there and stumble. Because we want to have a clear path. We have to be diligent and aware that Jesus only calls us forward. No one ever ran a race. Anybody ever run a race? You ran a race or two, right? Yeah, I see some hands. Have you ever seen anybody win the race running the wrong way? You're disqualified if you run the wrong way. Right? How do you win the race? By pressing forward. By pressing forward. Mm, that's good stuff. Kelly, you're preaching good today. Woo! Wow. All right, so let's look at point two here. Do not settle for anything less than what God has promised. Now, that's a hard one. Remember back to my car story? I could have been driving a bad mama jammer that was paid for. You know, yeah, yeah he, Steve's already, he's just salivating over there. And, Thinking, what kind of idiot was he? Uh, we cannot settle for anything less than what God has promised. Abraham would not even settle, even though his servant encouraged him to do so. His servant said, no, no, check out these chicks right here in the area, man. You won't have to go anywhere. You won't have to do anything. Check them out. They're fine looking. They'll make a good wife. And Abraham said, no, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle for my future, for my son. You're going to be constantly tempted in your life to settle for less than what God has intended for you. You'll settle for the Chrysler laser, and you'll get the Chrysler laser problems. That's the truth. That's what settling does for us. Satan wants you to settle for things that are not of God and he'll make it sound like it's all the same. I thought, that, I thought that Chrysler Laser was going to be just as good as that Dodge Duster. I really did. He's been doing that train, same trick since Adam and Eve. Some of you have been fooled into the wrong fruit. Well, it's okay. It's, it's okay. But if it isn't God's okay, it ain't good enough. Instead of living like kings and priests and a royal generation, you're living like you're down in the slums in the bottom by the river. That's the truth. When we settle for less, Abraham had finally come to the point in his life where he understood that nothing was better than God's promise. He's had a, he's had a journey, hadn't he? We've gotten to look at some of his journey. But he's got it now. And you get the opportunity to learn from him. We have to stand firm in the word and the promises of God. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on guard. Now, let's, 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 let's do that. Be on guard and stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. There's a lot to that. Be on guard because Satan wants you to settle for less. He wants you to have a Chrysler laser and not the, not the Dodge Duster. He wants you to be off of your guard. And when you're not protecting that, and when you're not aware of it, 
you are not on guard. Sometimes you think, man, it's okay if I go hang out at that dude's house. You know darn well they got a joint sitting around there somewhere. You know darn well that that movie had nudity in it. You knew that if I went into the bar for a burger, I was probably going to have six or seven beers along with it. You knew. You have to be on guard. you got to be courageous. Take a stand and say, I won't settle for anything less. Be strong. Be strong. Can't be lazy while we're waiting. We can't, we can't not be diligent. The devil slips in and that's how he does that to us. And we settle for the lesser. When you settle for less than God's best, you don't get his best. Well, there's a rocket, you know, rocket scientist statement for you. And when you settle for less than God's best, you don't get his best. And then you cry about it. Oh, God, you didn't take care of me. Just like me in that car. God, why, why, would, you, why would you let that car break down for the 17th time since I've owned it in two years? Because I didn't listen to my mom who said, Kelly, that's not the car for you. That's a piece of junk. Mm. It's because we constantly want instant gratification. Some of you have been holding on to some things maybe God has promised. And you want it and you're willing to make it happen. You're willing to go outside of his protection. You're willing to go outside of his best. And you're willing to settle for it. And I'm telling you, stop. Because there's nothing like his best. When we go outside of God's promises and we try to manufacture or hurry up the process, we end up with an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. Do you all everybody remember what, I, what Ishmael caused? Strife, pain, and not God's best. He was a, he was a second best of what God had for him. It, it was not his very best. It was Abraham's best and it surely wasn't good enough, was it? We're still suffering under that today. Mm. Much like me and my car story, i got to be honest, I wish I could tell you that was the only time that had ever happened in my life. Not so true. And I've paid that price for a lot of years. I've paid that price of bad choices, going outside of God's best. And I'm here to tell you that there's nothing like his promises. And there's nothing like, like that. There's nothing like the goodness of God. And Abraham had experienced that, and he's learned it. When instead of waiting to, for God to fulfill his promise to, from sorry, his wife, right? Sarah, we know her as. He took Hagar, and instead of the blessing, he got the curse. Let me tell you, the Chrysler laser was the curse. I suffered through the Chrysler laser curse for two and a half years. And then the three months I drove with my mom and dad's, Ford Escort wagon and the bicycle for the next three months. So let's call it a full three years. I got the curse of that one. You can be confident that God will deliver on his word. Boy, come on, be confident. You know, I got to be honest. I'm being really honest with you guys. It has nothing to do with my parents. Part of the reason I didn't wait for them to buy me the car was because I wasn't for sure that they really would. And I didn't for, wasn't for sure that they knew what was best for me. Boy, was I wrong, wasn't I? Wasn't I wrong? Now listen to this. This is what Abraham's going to teach us about being confident in God's promises. He was so confident that he sent gifts for his future daughter-in-law without ever having met her. 
Because when the servant met Rebecca, he pulled out the ring. And he didn't spare any expense. That's how confident Abraham was that God would, would be faithful in his promise to secure his future. Remember, without Rebecca, without pureness of blood, there was no security in the promise. But Abraham said, I'm done messing around, guys. I'm done doing my own thing. I can trust the Lord, no matter how long it takes. Psalms 31.11 says, But the Lord's plans stand firm forever, and his intentions can never be shaken. Oh, come on, that's a promise, isn't it? You've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared when God calls you. When he gives you that promise, you've got to be ready to step out into it. It might take a little while. So for those of you who don't know, it took two weeks for Abraham's servant to go find that's about the distance it took. So we don't know how many times he stopped. It might have been three weeks. You know, maybe the Holiday Inn wasn't, was full one night and he had to wait an extra night. I don't know. You know, uh, maybe the camel, the camel station wasn't quite, you know, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have whatever the camels fill up on. Uh, I had water. I don't know. But we're knowing it's at least two weeks. But he was ready. The servant was prepared. Abraham had prepared him. Many times we're not ready. We're not ready for what God's called you out of. You're not ready for his promise. That's because you haven't been diligent, because you haven't stand firm. You're just flapping in the wind. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. Are you ready to step into God's promises? Come on, are you ready to call where God's called you out of? Are you ready to quit messing around and step into the fullness of who you are? Oh, the Bible talks about being the head and not the tail, and that's what he's called you to be. You can stand firm and know that God will deliver on all of his promises. And finally, our last point is God's delivered promise is always perfect for us and for our benefit. That's a mouthful. But I couldn't think of any better way to put it because it's perfect. It's perfect for us. Because he knows you before the beginning of time. He knows you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. He knows you so well. Better than you even know yourself. He knows what's perfect for you. What we find out here is here's Rebecca, and this is a weird thing, but, but Rebecca is of marrying age already. And it says Rebecca is beautiful. I gotta imagine there was a bit of a market for Rebecca. You know, over there, I don't know if you know how they do things. They offer camels and they offer gifts for, for, for girls, right? When Heidi was in Israel, the, she got offered, her mom got offered t- uh, 25 camels and, and 12 Mercedes. I was like, take the deal, you know. <laughs> take the deal, right? You know, uh, I can split some of that. Uh, but Rebecca, Rebecca was still on the market because God was preserving her just for a time as this because he knew He knew that she was part of God's plan to Abraham, and he knew that she had a part to play. A part to play in making the nation of Israel, fulfilling God's promise. So many of us think that God's promises have an expiration date on because I waited a week. Come on. How many of you had to wait a week for a prayer to be answered? Oh, man, I'm just dying. You offered the one prayer, and you're like, I'm done. I'm out. You're not fulfilling a God. 
right? Yeah, you, you guys, know, some of you, I see some heads shaking out there. I'm, I'm there. I'm there with you, right? Uh, you know, I remember, you know, praying over that Chrysler laser a couple times on the side of a road. God, just answer my prayer. And he's not going to answer it, you know. I uh, wasn't faithful to wait on that. But um, <laughs> we think it, if we don't make something happen in the meantime, that God's not going to make it true for us. And we lose the perfection of his promise. We step out of his protection. We step out of his plan. We step out of where we're not supposed to be. It's one thing to step forward. It's one thing to step out. Because in God's promises, there's protection. Joshua 21 Verses 43 through 45 says, The Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give them their ancestors. Now this is back to our promise of Abraham. All the way to Joshua. They took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave them all the enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Come on. Some of you have been out there waiting for that child to find Jesus. And you just feel like you've been waiting. And you feel like you've been waiting. And you feel like you've been waiting. And you're just so, you want it so bad. But God's timing is so perfect. I have a younger brother who's not serving the Lord. And I'm just waiting. But I'm faithful. I know God is faithful. Because his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. Not Kelly's. Not Kelly's time. Mm. God brought Rebecca to Isaac in perfect timing because he knew what, what Isaac was about to go through. He, know, she, he knew that his mother was going to die and that Isaac would be deeply affected and he would need someone to comfort him. Apparently Abraham was not that much of a comforting guy. But he knew that somebody needed to comfort him. And when he did that, let me see what a fulfilled promise looks like. It says, Isaac loved Rebekah. And he honored her. And that's how we should feel about God's promises in our lives. Knowing that he's going to bring perfection. That's what, that's how, you don't see Isaac getting all, all, all crazed up. He's waiting. His father's taught him. God's promise, his timing's perfect. His timing is perfect. And we try to speed up that promise. Here's what we get. A little bit of Hagar is what I said. But they thought God was taking too long. And so they tried to bring something out on their own. Here's what they got. Strife, heartache, pain. And they didn't get the fullness of the promise. Waiting on the Lord brings about the fullness and the perfection of his promises. First Peter Excuse me, 2 Peter 2, 3, 9, 3, 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow. Come on, who said that before? Lord, you're, so, you're dragging your feet here. This is what he says. He's not being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to be repent. So let me tell you back to my car story and my mom. My mom understood that if I borrowed the money on this car, she could see what was going to happen. And for three years, 
I had no money because every money I had went right straight to this stupid car. And it followed me afterwards because she had the wisdom to say, Kelly, if you'll just wait, we'll find you the perfect car. We'll find you the car that matters. We'll pay the payment for you. Your price will be paid. And you'll walk in the fullness. Mm. Isaiah 40, 31 says, For those who trusted the Lord will find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and grow weary. They'll walk and nothing. Because some of you think, I'm just so tired. But I'm telling you, if you stand on his promise, you'll stand on his strength. You will run strong. You will finish the race. If God's promised you and you trust him to deliver, he will give you that strength. You don't have to manufacture it. There's no manufacturing it. It's his strength that's going to carry you through, much like Abraham figured out. God never changes his mind or he goes back on his promise to his children. Psalms 145.13 says, For if your kingdom, is an ever, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, your rule throughout all generations, the Lord always keeps his promises. How clear is that? He is gracious in all he does. Not only does the Lord keep his promise, but he's thinking of you when he fulfills them. Mm. Your interests are always on his mind. Come on. As much as I love Kelton behind me, he's not always on my mind. I love him a lot, but he's not always on my mind. Scripture says that you are always on the Father's mind. Got it. It's like Abbott and Costello up here. Well, I want to just kind of sum it up here. Help you remember. Maybe those of you who are note takers. Maybe you thought maybe this was worthy of taking notes after all. It says we need to stand on God's promise and never look back. When we take our eyes off the Father who's in front of us, we will veer off the plan he has for us. When you let something get in your way, distract you from his call, you will not complete the race. Mm. Remember, God is calling us forward and never backwards. Put that on your, write that on your head if you have to. He's calling me forward, not backwards. Never settle for anything less than God's promises. Because settling for something other than God's promises will never bring about the intended result. You'll be broke down on the side of the road rather than getting to your destination. There's no substitute for what God has for you and there is nothing better. God's promise is always perfect for us and for our benefit. His promise lives through Jesus who is the perfect sacrifice for your life. God's timing is perfect. And for your benefit, I know the wait seems long. The wait seems so long sometimes. We wonder, where are you? But he's pulling it together for your good. Waiting brings God's fullness and his fullness of his promise. Most importantly, remember this. God's mind never changes. What he's spoken is true. What he's promised is true. Well, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes for just a moment. 
we're going to wrap it up here. But just got a couple questions for you. Is there someone here today who says, man, I want to stand on God's promises today. I want his promise of eternal life, sanctification from my sins. I want to be saved from my sins. I know that there's a price for my life that's been paid, and I want to step into that today. If that's you, just raise your hand. Yeah, I see. I see. Secondly, if you've been waiting on God to fulfill a promise, and you just need somebody to stand with you today. Raise your hand. If you're just waiting for God to fulfill that promise, you're waiting for him because he's, he's spoken words to your heart and you've said, I, I'm ready. God, I'm, I'm waiting. And you just need somebody to stand with you. That's, we want you to do that. Finally, maybe you've tried to do it on your own and you just said, I want to give control back to you, God. Maybe you bought a Chrysler laser in your life when God really had perfect for you. And you've stepped out of his will and you've stepped out of his plan and you've tried to generate it and you said, I'm just so tired. And that's you. Just raise your hand. Well, if you want somebody to agree with you today, I'm going to ask you to be brave. Be brave and come forward. If that's you, I saw the hands, but I'm not going to call you out. But if that was you, I want you to come forward. If you said, God, I need you. I need you. I want you to fulfill your promises in me. I want you. Then I want you to come forward. If you can be brave today. We'll wait a minute. We'll wait a minute. Don't be ashamed. I owned a Chrysler Laser for Pete's sake. We'll just wait another minute. God's working on some hearts here. I do. 